What up, world? It's your past first point guard, Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in this episode. In today's episode, I want to talk about hoops, real life hoops, well, hypothetical hoops, but I want to talk about what Chauncey Billups might bring to the Blazers uh, in using the lens of the Los Angeles Clippers to kind of get a sense of what Chauncey Billups might be like as a basketball coach when the games start up in the fall and Chauncey Billups is coaching a collection of basketball players to play basketball for the for the fighting pinwheels, the old Portland Trailblazers. That's what we'll do in the first couple segments. And then I want to close the show talking about joy. Uh, a listener shared a wonderful story of joy and hoops with me. I, I If you listen to yesterday's show, I said I was on a quest for I was on a quest for joy. I was hunting out happiness. Kind of uh, it's been a brutal stretch for the Blazers. Just a kind of a, a lot of bummers stacked on top of each other in varying <laughs> from various directions. Uh, and I, I was I said I was on a hunt for joy. And uh, a listener reached out to me and shared a story that just um, exudes joy. It reminded it and it will remind you of of sort of the joy that basketball brings. So I look forward to uh, sharing that one with you in the third segment. But like I said. We're going to talk about hoops. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've talked about real basketball. You know, I, I've joked on here a bunch that my, my favorite part of the NBA is the basketball. I, I I think I just screwed up my own joke. It's the part of basketball I like is basketball. I don't know how I tripped over that one, but I did. So let's like let's return to the court for a moment. Uh, during Billups's introductory press conference, which was uh, mostly not about basketball for, for fair and believable reasons. Uh, he touched very briefly on what he hopes to bring to the team. Uh, defensively, he didn't, he said it's, it's more about convincing guys to buy in than a certain scheme. And we'll talk about that in the, in the second segment. Uh, I think there's some truth to that. And offensively, he preached the things uh, he, about ball movements and, and specifically using use of Nurkic a little bit more. And when Nurkic is final time he spoke to the media he was pissed um and said that uh you know he, he didn't want to t- return to the blazers unless it was the right situation uh which i think was a thinly veiled thing to be like i don't ever want to play for terry stotts again and then neil olshay had kind of hinted at this in a press conference that he wanted um that nurk like probably deserved more post touches and more chance to like score on offense against uh the nuggets than he he uh he received I'm not a I'm not a hundred percent sure. I agree with that, uh, but I think that is very. If it's not something that's actually going to happen with the with the team, it's like something that they're. T- it's a talking point. Um, it's a thing that they they want to at least emphasize publicly, even if it doesn't happen on the hardwood. You know, uh, Nurk seemed to hint at it. Neil O'Shea said it explicitly. Uh, Chauncey Billups said it explicitly. So like, <laughs> getting Nurk involved is is definitely going to be step one. But the other thing Chauncey Billups mentioned was ball movement. Uh, and I think that was uh, music to a lot of fans' ears because the late, late era Stotts Blazers offenses did not have ball movement. They were bottom in the league in assists for three consecutive seasons, uh, bottom of the league in raw passing. Uh, uh, just They were way down there in potential assists. They're just taking a bunch of hard jumpers. And Billups mentioned that. He said, you know, uh, move the ball more so that Damon C.J. aren't taking all of those hard jumpers that he, that they can make. And I think that's an important um, note here because the Blazers offense was really good, but it wasn't always aesthetically pleasing and it wasn't always, um, it didn't always produce like 
good, efficient, uh, repeatable offense. Like it was just like Dame go, CJ go. Um, I will say this. Early in his career, Stotts talked all about playing fast and moving the ball, and the Blazers with different personnel were um, whipped the ball around the perimeter and, and shared the ball and got good shots and moved off the ball. And, and Stotts' offense was praised for how much they set screens off the ball and moved off the ball. Like that was that was a staple of early Stotts' offense, and and that kind of faded a little bit. Uh, and it kind of faded, one, because uh, I think Stotts sort of tended towards giving guys a lot of freedom. And then as you get personnel that will break off that freedom, like CJ McCollum or um, or Carmelo Anthony or Ennis Cantor, like, you know, late late in the last couple seasons, you're getting guys who are like comfortable in ISO. Uh, Amberty Simons to some extent. Dame, certainly. And we'll talk about him in a moment. But like... Stotts' system allowed for more freedom and guys could sort of break off. There was there wasn't um, you know, they weren't it was like read and react, but you could the read you could make was I'm just gonna dribble the ball. There weren't there weren't as many hard and fast, like several actions. It was like if you go here, there's three options and and guys would, you know, choose the option that shoot, dribble and then shoot. Uh I also think Damian Lord is comfortable in ISO, he's comfortable in, in high pick and rolls, and the offense kind of devolved to letting him do that. And so the argument for a new coach and the hope is with Chauncey is not just like ball movement, capital B, capital M, like because that's the type of thing that any coach would preach. It's the type of thing that Terry Stotts preached in his career. The 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 like hope is that the idea of ball movement is because it's um it's sustainable and effective and he gets guys to buy into it. Like he can, he can like that Chauncey's position and his leadership skills and, and uh, resume and all those things. Gravitas is the word I've used a bunch is like gets guys to buy into that idea of ball movement. So looking at this sort of through the lens of the Clippers, um, the Clippers don't, the Clippers thrive off good ball movement. Uh, they're one of the best shooting teams in the league. They, they don't take as many threes, but they take a, they make the most threes in the league. They're an all-time great shooting team in terms of shooting percentage. Um, you know, everyone, everyone in the league shoots more than in the past. So comparing them to past seasons doesn't really make sense. Uh, they didn't shoot as many threes as the Blazers this season, but they were, they were a high attempt team super high efficiency, uh, and they did it without a bunch of, like, rim pressure type downhill attackers. Um, they don't have that sort of, like, they have two guys who can bend and break a defense in, in Kawhi and Paul George, but they don't have, like, neither neither of those dudes are, like, sl- true slashers all the way to the rim. Paul George played more off the ball as sort of, like, the, um, as, like, a shooter coming off screens this year than he had in the past, even though he complained specifically about that, and then, uh, and then he sort of bought into that more with, uh, more with Ty Lue. It's almost like the same system with a different voice can help. This is the argument for a new coach, right? Um, and But the Clippers, what they did do was they just, they, their offense was predicated on attacking ball movement. So it was, it was find the mismatch, attack, force help you know find the corner swing swing like it's um it was not predicated on a lot of dribble drives like the, like that that's basically like the ball was the thing that bent the defense as it as the ball moved that is the thing that if the blazers replicate here they're going to be in they're just going to be even better i don't know that their like offensive ranking will be any better they were the second best offense in the league this year um and after they got norm they were the best offense in the league right like they were um they're 
like relative to their competition, they won't be better. But in terms of like a sustainable quality offense, if they were to move the ball more, I think it's undeniable they would be harder to guard. Like, I think that's just true because there's just more stuff. You're forcing guys in more um, in in more actions. And if and if the team looks similar with Damon CJ back on it next season, like then you still have two dudes who can go score when things get dicey late. Um, not not dissimilar from the Clippers. Um in in the playoffs, I thought what and and I will say this. I think com, I think comparing I think playoff basketball is is kind of like it's it's the best test of coaching, but it's also not like it's an imperfect study because it, the playoff basketball is very different from regular season basketball. Like they're just they're different things. Like in the playoffs, teams like tend to play smaller there's less times with traditional centers unless you're like a true star tighter rotation so it's like you only your good players are really going to play and there's so much familiarity with the teams that like uh you end up running less stuff you just like you can't run your pet actions because everyone knows your pet actions there was a i watched uh clipper suns right before i recorded this uh and there was a moment where the Suns came down and called their play, and Terrence Mann tapped his elbow. He says they're running el- they're running this elbow action. Of course, the, the Clippers knew it right away. He communicated to his teammates. The Suns just didn't get into anything. They ran their action. They didn't. Get, it was just basically like, up. Oh, we they fought around the first screen. Okay, they saw the dribble handoff. Okay, we're we're in isolation. Here we go. Let's just screw it. Didn't work. Let's run a high pick and roll. Like. So watching, you know, comparing sort of like what did the Clippers do in the playoffs and how this will mean how this will work doesn't exactly fit. Also, judging an assistant coach by what the the head coach they work for does, it's not like exactly the same. Um, for instance, like Ty Lue's willingness to adjust um, is not proof that Chauncey Billups will have a willingness to adjust, but it is. It probably gets you like in the ballpark of. Um, you know, of the sort of the school of thought that Chauncey is in. Um, it's not one-to-one. See Nate Bjorkren and and, and uh, Nick Nurse, right? And, and there's more to it than just sort of like ideas, like your personnel has to fit your plan and all those things. But I think... Um, from watching from watching what the Clippers did all year, um, and I watched a, a ton of Clippers games, and I've, I've watched every single one of their playoff games, even if it's an imperfect study uh, over the last six weeks, and like th- their ball movement and their hunting okay, we know where the help is going to come from. Let's exploit that help and find a shooter behind that. If, if that gets introduced to the Blazers, that is an upgrade on offense. If it, it's hard to say if like Billups will bring exactly that, but if like through, if we're looking at this through the lens of the Clippers for this exercise, like if that level of, of the ball being the thing that breaks down defenses as opposed to the dribble being, like the pass being the thing that breaks down defense as opposed to the dribble, that helps the Blazers a lot because they don't have a lot of off-the-dribble juice, but if they had a g- guys who would trust the pass, they have enough shooters to uh, like on, as currently constructed to be really dangerous with that passing. Chauncey Billups uh, mentioned using uh, Yusuf Nurkic as a passer and getting Damon CJ off the ball. All things other Blazers have that that is a buy-in thing right like the Blazers brought in Evan Turner to get Dame and CJ off the ball and Terry could never figure it out and Dame was never comfortable with it they brought in Mario Hazonia that was just a bad idea because he's not even as good as Evan Turner but again like Dame wasn't comfortable with it and Terry couldn't figure it out um there's I think like it's too early to understand to know if this is lip service or not but like I think like looking at the Clippers and thinking about how that could work makes more sense than saying like oh there's definitely going to be more ball movement there's definitely going to be Damon CJ off the ball and there's definitely going to be Nurk as like the fulcrum and focal point of of like a passing attack those are ideas we'll wait and see those are really good ideas that would help but like 
just if you think about it from the from the lens of the Clippers, if the Blazers have a similar offensive approach to what the Los Angeles Clippers did, they're a fantastic offense. Undeniable. Speaking of that Clippers and Suns game, the Phoenix Suns headed to the NBA Finals. And when that game ended, uh, it was a it was you know a blowout at the end. It was it was garbage time in the final minutes, and so the uh, broadcast television broadcast spent a lot of time in the Suns bench. And what I saw on the Suns bench was Monty Williams uh, could not be a more deserving coach in the league. After he's just a great dude, and he's been through a lot of personal tragedy, and just just a wonderful guy. Um, and that's why I'm giving Monty Williams. The ultra moment of the week. I'm rewarding him with, he's my pick for the ultra moment of the week was watching Monty Williams celebrate a trip to the NBA Finals. And you say, but Mike, Monty Williams is a son. No, but Monty Williams is a former Blazer, assistant coach for the Blazers from 2005 to 2010 on uh, Nate McMillan's staff, who he could meet in the Finals. Uh, also on that Sun staff, Mark Bryant, former Blazer, great. So a lot of Portland connections on that Sun staff. So the moment of watching the Suns bench celebrate that trip to the NBA Finals was a moment of just pure joy and happiness. And it was a reminder for, um, you know, it was long-suffering the right word, but like uh, for Blazer fans that, that that trip, if they could get back there, if they could break through like the Suns who missed the playoffs for 10 years before heading to the NBA Finals, there is it is just so purely sweet it is just it is um it is truly just joy at its highest level and Michelob wants you to know that it's only worth it if you enjoy it at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories there's more to enjoy joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game it's the whole game So we talked about uh, what Chauncey Billups, head coach of the Blazers, might bring to bring to the team through the eyes of the Clippers on offense. Now I want to switch sides of the ball and, and think about sort of what uh, what Billups might bring through the lens of the Clippers again to to the to the Blazers when he's the head coach. Uh, I I think. Billups said, you know, it's it's not really about scheme. It's more about convincing guys to buy in. And I, I think there's some truth to that. That's a little coach speaky for me because the scheme is going to matter. Um, and, 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 and installing a scheme, installing sort of like a base scheme that everyone understands is like part of the buy in. But I, I think I, I think I agree with the sentiment. Like, I think I agree with the sentiment that like sort of like the most important thing you could do with this team is convincing Damon CJ to play really hard on defense. Um, they're not going to be good defenders, but there are times particularly Dame and and that's that's part of sort of the offensive load stuff if they could figure out a way to lower his offensive load they could ask more of him on defense he was really bad on defense this year like he was one of the by some measurements one of the five worst defenders in the NBA so one of the five best offensive players in the league which is how he ended up being like a top 10 talent uh offense being much more important than defense for point guards uh it's so like I I think I agree with the sentiment of Billups that, that that like his task is going to be like convincing the two guards the smaller guards to like bring it every night on defense because uh, th- even in the playoffs there were nights where Dame maybe wasn't as locked in as he need not even maybe there was there were nights when Dame wasn't as locked in on defense as he needed to be when Faku Campazo was blowing past him like that's you the he just has to be better than that and I think that is that is like a real sort of motivational thing a coach can bring I think it's it's kind of um, amorphous and hard for me and you maybe to put a finger on like how that works but I do think like buying into the concept of it is is like what a coach does convincing the things I look for in a coach like is like 
making the right lineup decision, who's on the floor and when, that's the most important thing for me. Number one is lineup decisions. And number two is like, do, does the team play hard? Um, I always thought like Dwayne Casey was a, was a good coach in Toronto because the Raptors played really hard. Uh, Eric Spolstra is a good example. Like the, the Heat teams, even if they've been bad, like they typically play very hard. I think that's a, that's like a good a good sort of like mark of a, of a good coach is that like the, the guys play for you. Um, I think that matters. But back to Billups and the Clippers, like beyond sort of just getting guys to play hard like i think that's step one i think that was the, that's a salient point that he made in his press conferences like the buy-in is step one but the scheme really 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 matters uh the blazers have played one way and they've played a bunch of drop coverage and i know that there's been a there's been this sort of um it's like a buzzword that people get mad about uh but there's there's a lot of different v- types of drop like there's a deep drop and there's um you know there's 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 not dropping as deep there's there's dropping but also the other guy helps in from the nail on on um on wing pick and rolls like there's there's more nuance to it like not every single drop coverage is created the same like you can watch the way Milwaukee does it sometimes they play deep drop and just get killed sometimes they play deep drop with PJ Tucker pulled in and it's much more effective because you get three guys in, in the pick and role and 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 two people in help position to to recover also one of the benefits of drop coverage is you get a shit ton of defensive rebounds like there's real benefits to it but it is a little it's personnel based you wouldn't play drop with everyone and i think the clippers are a good example of this uh tonight and in game six of their of their series against the suns like when demarcus cousins was in the game they typically play drop coverage because asking demarcus cousins to get way out on the floor and chase guys around would not be a good use of him in personnel of his like his skill set like that personnel wouldn't be a good use of it it's it's um you're getting him out on the floor makes him slower farther away from the rim that's not more valuable it's kind of why i've pushed back against people saying all drop coverage is bad it, it certainly doesn't always work and against certain players like when the blazers played it against steph curry that's a friggin' nightmare <laughs> but like uh in some situations the personnel best is best suited to do that right uh so when when they had a traditional center in the game the the clippers played in drop cool i like that do what your players are capable of and try to max out what their best max out their skill sets right like that's that's how you coach uh but they played a ton of small ball clippers best lineup is just playing small and then they went with that and they played small and when they were when they were small they played two different ways one they switched nearly everything including pick and rolls with deandre not worried about which little guy be it terrence Mann or whoever got switched onto him like they were not scared of that because they just want to keep the ball in front and force the suns to play isolation and in game five of that series all that switching really mucked up the sun's offense like it slowed them down it got them into isolation got them to take bad shots um couldn't fool chris paul into doing that twice he had 41 and 8 with no turnovers he he, uh he figured it out um but but this like switching maybe not every every single action forever and i don't i'm not a big fan of just like soft switching but um switching works in this league uh to some extent i think uh i think we've gone maybe a little too far where teams hunt the switch and and defenses concede a, a stupid switch when they don't need to and all that stuff but we'll talk about that some other time but switching when you have small similarly sized personnel using your personnel the best way another good sign of good coaching and then the clippers mix in some matchup zone uh they they went to this a bunch late in the series games four five and six uh pretty effective honestly they were really good at it uh there was a time when the blazers had an extended time off due to uh a covid 
uh, issue with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, they had a, a like basically shut down for ten days, and the Blazers had five or six days off in a very a season with very little bit of little time off between games. And they installed a, a zone defense in that time, and the Blazers were terrible at it. <laughs> they were really bad at it because in zone in the NBA you have to match up. Like you still have to be you have to have man principles. So I'm in this zone, I'm in this spot, but here's the man I'm guarding. Like I am aware, and you got to communicate that. And the Blazers were bad at communication and bad at rotating, and the zone like many times exacerbated that problem. Uh, they weren't, it just didn't work for them. And you can probably put that on the coaching staff too, is that like if you taught it better or had a better principles in it, maybe you could improve it. I think you could. I think there's limitations of personnel, but I think um, there's some combination of bad personnel and 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 the coach is not doing a good enough job that kind of made the zone particularly bad. But I think the sort of larger point is, and I don't know how much of this sort of Ty Lue switching defenses Billups will bring with him, but um, this is what you need to be a good defense in the NBA. This is what you need to be. You need to be able to have um, a base a base defense that you're pretty good at. So when uh, the Clippers, for the most most of this year, they played with traditional centers and they played um, a lot of drop coverage with with Zubac and with uh, and with Boogie with Demarcus Cousins. Uh, get in your base defense. Get good at that, and then have the ability to to move out of your principles. Uh, the in the Jazz series, the Clippers played probably four different defenses in Game Six, like um, straight switch, st- st- uh, straight trapping on Donovan Mitchell, uh, switch, and then a late trap where they kind of just relied on Patrick Beverly's like good sense of timing to go trap after they switch, and then Donovan Mitchell says, "Okay, I got the switch I like." Then you send the double team late to kind of keep Utah off balance and and keep him up and like keep them not sort of knowing when that's going to come so you can't sort of time the way you attack double teams. Like, they ran a bunch of different defenses. And I think, like, the way to be a good defensive team is to be good at one type of defense and have the ability to play two or three others. Like, that, the future of this, of the NBA, is going to be teams playing a ton of zone. I feel strongly about that. Like, a, a ton of zone. So, you don't need to, like, have that be a thing you do all the time, but you probably need the ability to play drop. You need the ability to, you need the ability to switch. You need the ability to um, double team hard on certain star players and then rotate behind that. Like you need all those looks. Uh, and so while personnel matters more than, than scheme there, cause like the, the, there's limitations to what sort of the Blazers current roster can be defensively. They can certainly be way, way better than they were last year, but I don't think this is like, I don't think the group, right. I don't think the group they currently have could be like an elite defensive team. I think they could be an, like an average, league average defensive team. And, and I've said this a bunch. Like if they're a league average defensive team and the best offensive team in the league, they're going to be freaking good. Like they're, they're going to be really good. Um, it's just that step from sort of like horrifically bad to to like consistently league average is a big leap. And I, But I, I think conceivably they could get there. Um, it's, it remains to be seen what, what, what the roster is going to look like. So we'll talk about that in three months. But, uh, you know, if we're just assuming for right now that like the Blazers play, we're assuming a couple things. The Blazers play like the Clippers and they look exactly like they did last season. This is, we're, we're really deep in the hypotheticals, but I wanted to talk about basketball and this is the basketball we have to talk about. So I like I I think developing a good base, developing a a a, a good base defense. Like okay, we're we have Yusuf Nurkic. We're going to play mostly like a more aggressive drop. So it's not a deep drop, but he's going to drop on pick and rolls. We're going to fight over the top, and we're actually going to fight over the top. Like we're we really instead of like kind of dying on screens and leaving Nurk in no man's land. Like guards are really going to to fight over screens hard and make it tough and play like a good version of drop defenses. Drop defense. You can play drop defense in the regular season and be okay. Not against every single team every night, but against 
70% of the league during the regular season. But if you build good defensive principles there, then you can build off of them to play other types of defense. And that's what you need. And that's what the Clippers had this year. And if you if you assume that uh, what Chauncey did in, or what the Clippers did with Chauncey on the roster, or on the staff rather, will be what he tries to implement with the Blazers, I think there's reason to believe this team could take a step forward on that end. There's reason to believe they could take a step forward that end, on that end also because they were really, really bad already. So uh, it's... <laughs> It stands to reason that they could they could improve just uh, just by virtue of like um, of ha- having a different year exist for them. So those are my thoughts on on what Billups could bring to the table. Uh, the, the, these are just I I don't want to like nothing is really set in stone. Like I said, like some the he barely talked about basketball in his first um, uh, in this first meeting with the press uh, for obvious and fair reasons, like I said, uh, and also like what a coach says at an opening press conference in June ahead of games and ahead of maybe like a relatively massive roster reconstruction over July and August, like a, lot, a lot's going to change by the time the games start up and, and, you know, regular season starts in the middle of October. We're a long, we're a long way from there right now, uh, three and a half months. So, uh, like, we will dig in deeper once we know what it's going to look like. But I think this is sort of just sort of my, my outline of what I kind of think Billups could potentially bring to the table based on what we know right now. In the third segment, I want to talk about joy. Uh, I, I said earlier this week amidst um, just amidst just talking about um, kind of negative stuff uh, or at least like serious non-basketball issues and things that were bummers like Zach's injury and Damian Lord's unhappiness. Uh, like I said, I was hunting for joy and a, and a listener reached out to me and shared a ray of light in the darkness. So I want to share that with you in the third segment. But first, I want to tell you about rockauto.com. It's a place where you can save time and money on auto parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And I'm talking like a lot of money. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? You don't have to do that. You can go to rockauto.com. They're a family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They've also been helping out mechanics. I have a friend who says his... uh, mechanic uses rockauto.com like he'll he'll come in and bring he drives a little honda fit he'll say hey hey my little wind-up car uh is isn't working well and my pal's mechanic orders parts from rockauto.com because they have reliably low prices for every single customer everything you could possibly need to like brake parts tail lamps motor oil even new carpet so go explore their easy to use website find the solution for your auto part needs Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. We talked a bunch about the NBA playoffs. And a reminder that all of our coverage of the NBA playoffs is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. At 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We talked Chauncey Billups, what he might bring on offense, what he might bring on defense through the lens of what we know that the Clippers did this season, this year, and in, in the postseason. 
Now I want to talk a little bit about joy. I had said uh, to close the show yesterday. I, I, I put out a call and said, "Listen, if you've got if you've got a, a you know a, a positive story for me, uh, a joy is something I talk about all the time on this podcast. Like hold, hold holding tightly to your joy, clinging to your joy. The world is challenging and difficult. Um, it's so if you have a moment that brings you happiness, like grab that thing and hold on to it." So listener Rob sent me the following story. Uh, responding to my request for positivity. And Rob offers this tale of fi- the last 15 months. Here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read you the email from Rob. Here it is. When we first went into quarantine here in the United Kingdom last March, our lives were up in the air. I had just been offered a new job. We were looking at new homes and schools for the family but hadn't quite relocated. It was stressful. It was a stressful time for all, but trying to move to a different area during the pandemic while homeschooling three kids was particularly difficult. I went on to the new place in advance, and while on my own for that first month, the last dance dropped on Netflix and rekindled the joy for basketball that I had left behind, probably when Jordan retired. My family joined me, and we moved into our new place on Portland. Our Portland is a small island connected to the mainland by a mile-long causeway. Uh, This is not an email, but uh, I looked this up. Portland is like uh, southwest of London, uh, basically due south of Bath in the English Channel. Um, It looks cool. I'd love to visit the Isle of Portland out there. Rob continues. We paid for League Pass and started following the Blazers from afar. Not having watched the NBA for so long, I wasn't sure what to expect. But by golly, these guys were fun. We followed along this season. I set an alarm for 6 a.m. on weekends to watch the replay before the day gets going. I get home from work in the week and immediately we put on the previous night's game. Win or lose, we love those pinwheels. The game against Philadelphia when everyone was injured was a real highlight, and Dame's buzzer beater against the Bulls had the whole family bouncing off the walls. But those nights when Mello went off were the best. That smile is beautiful. I suppose what I'm really getting at is our trailblazers have helped us as a family through these multiple lockdowns, homeschooling, and the stresses of la- that last year have dealt us. Last night, my 12-year-old daughter said she would be sad if Dame left. But at least we can go to the park and practice our threes. So from a family on a little island called Portland, thank you, Trailblazers. It's been a real blast. Look, I, I, I love that. I love, Rob, thank you so much for sharing that. I love that. Um, this is exactly the type of thing I like. I, I want basketball. This is what basketball is for me in so many ways. It's the thing I go to to feel... Um, comfort and myself. Uh, I, I grew up in a basketball obsessed community in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and basketball has been sort of part of like a defining part of my life since I was very young. I was lucky enough to go to games, you know, regularly with um, season tickets from from before I can remember, but from, you know, six years old and on. Uh, this is... A, a close connection to a basketball team, I, I think, is deeply important. And uh, people have kind of teased me on here because I say I'm not a Blazers fan, and I and I'm not. I mean, I, I like I just I'm not, and I mean I'm not because I don't have a deep emotional connection. Um, 
I the wins and losses don't move me like they they move a real fan. Like I draw a line there. I know what it's like to be a fan of something and I'm not a fan of this team in that same way. Uh, some of it is proximity. Some of it is when you do it as a job, it kind of numbs you to the fandom and all those things. Uh, that, you know, five years as a beat writer kind of just changes your, um, ch- changes your relationship with the team and all those things. And I didn't grow up here, so it's not in my blood. But I know what it means to be a fan. I know what it means to have a family bond around hoops. And the joy that it brings when Marvin Williams grabs a rebound against Duke. Or when Carmelo hits a game winner in Toronto. I know what it means. It might mean my moments are different from your moments, but I but I I am so it it pleases me so much that there are people literally all over the world, I I guess, even in a little island in the English Channel, south of Bath, that are loving and enjoying this the these moments and this and the team. And like I I'm really happy that Rob shared that story with us because this is kind of what I'm after with all of the, when I say hold on to your joys, that these moments are fun and special, but like teams lose. <laughs> Only one team's going to win this year. Um, I thought I really enjoyed watching the Suns celebrate a trip to the finals because it was so special, um, you know, after wandering in the, the sort of literal desert of Arizona and also the, the sort of basketball desert of a decade without the playoffs of, to get back there. That's really special. They might lose in the NBA Finals. It won't feel as good in a couple weeks. But cling tightly to your joy. Still go practice your threes in the park. Thank you, Rob, for sharing this moment of positivity. Uh, If you out there, dear listeners, have a moment of positivity you want to share with me, it doesn't need to be as uh, elaborate and heartwarming as Rob's, but uh, send it with me and I'll I'll, I'll kind of make this a sort of regular off-season thing where we sort of share our joy. I I would love this to be part of the community because, um, quite frankly, I think there's been more negativity around this team than any time I can remember. So being reminded of the happiness that uh, Trailblazers basketball and basketball in general brings us I think is, is can be really, really valuable. So thanks again to Rob for sharing that. I've had a, a, smi- a big smile on my face for this whole uh, this whole segment. Uh, so so again, cheers cheers to Rob. I appreciate it. I hope my dear listeners do too. That's going to do it for today's show. Uh, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers and be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.